What's going on guys? My name is Alden Nero and welcome to episode 92 of the Midnight Hour. This episode features myself and Dr. John returning for the first time in a long time. I can't remember the last episode he was on, but I really enjoy having him on the show. I think our episodes are just really, really good and thoughtful discussions and I always learn a lot through it and I hope that you guys like them too. Uh, if you do and you'd consider leaving a like, that would be much appreciated. If you want to discuss the episode um, or anything about the show in general, check out the subreddit. It will be linked in the description. If you want to buy a t-shirt or a hoodie, that will also be linked in the description. And if you want to listen on SoundCloud or watch on YouTube, that will be linked in the relevant description, depending on which platform you're currently listening to this on. So today's episode is called The Outside Me And this was John's idea, it was entirely his topic, and it basically is a discussion about the way that we present our identity to the world by the things that we like. We sort of wear the things we like as if it were jewellery, and we're not really sure why, but I think the discussion about it is pretty interesting, and I think you guys will really like it. So, without further ado, I will present to you an old-school Midnight Hour intro and get straight into the episode. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Peace. What we're into now, give me a courtesy, okay? I'm not trying to convert you. Look, I'd consider myself a realist, all right? But in philosophical terms, I'm what's called a pessimist. I think human consciousness is a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. Well, that sounds god-fucking-awful, Rush. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self, this accretion of sensory experience and feeling, programmed with total assurance that we are each somebody, when in fact everybody's nobody. I think the honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming, stop reproducing, Walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight, brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. No power in the verse can stop me. I'm joined today by Dr. John, returning from beyond the grave. Don't know why I said that. Um, But you've been busy becoming a doctor and... uh, holding human hearts in your hands and, and all the things that being a doctor entails. Is that correct? Yeah, and I got away with it too. Oh, nice. <laughs> and they'll never know. <laughs> if um, it weren't for those pesky kids. Yeah. yeah. But thankfully you killed them all. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And held their hearts in my hands. Yeah, nice. That's, that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, today we're going to talk about John's topic and I'm going to let him introduce it. Sure, yeah. So what I wanted to talk about uh, for this podcast was kind of something along the lines of the outside me, which is sort of uh, the way that we externalize our identity by what we like in popular culture, music, movies and literature, and how we sort of uh, like reflect ourselves onto these. And kind of that's how we like to demonstrate ourselves to the outside world, to our friends, to our peers, um, and basically create sort of a persona that is objectively visible and perceivable to the outside world uh, that is in line with how we think privately. Yeah, it's, it's, I was just thinking about this before we started recording, um, but 
I have a poster on my door from a TV show called The Expanse. It's like the trailer poster or the the promotional poster, the picture. Mm. And and I I don't know why I have it. Like it's it's just a poster that shows the TV show. It's a TV, obviously I'm obsessed with the TV show and I love it. <laughs> but never before have I got a poster from a TV show. And mm. it's just a really weird thing to do when you stop and like think about it you know what i mean yeah yeah i um i was on amazon and i just typed in the expanse poster does it exist because it is is a really cool picture cool cool but i i i if someone were to ask me like why do you have it on your door i think i don't think i'd be able to give them an answer and i would get angry at them for not knowing (laughs) interesting yeah it's almost as if kind of um like there's like a wire cross in your brain about it so you don't uh, have the kind of lack of logic like demonstrated to you so it's just kind of like it results in anger then to like just shut the conversation down like well, of course i have it why wouldn't i have it what do you mean yeah i would get defensive i'd be like yeah, why are yeah. you attacking it could it could be someone like someone who has lived their entire life in a bunker and they're finally allowed into the world and they have no concept of the outer them like because they don't do all of those things and they yeah. were like why do you have this poster on your wall and i would be like why do you have your fucking haircut like that, you dickhead? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and especially in a place as intimate as your bedroom as well, like yeah, yeah, you and know, like it's, just, it's yeah. I I don't have people over, I, like no one ever comes into my room, so it is really just for me. And yeah, people yeah. who who saw my vlog, the like four people who watched my video about if whether or not Wonder Woman is a feminist movie <laughs> would have seen it. And that's it. Like, and I didn't do it for them. <laughs> I did it for me. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is. I'm. I'm just reaffirming to myself that I love this TV show. Mm. Yeah. Bedrooms are kind of interesting places. Like it's almost sacrosanct in your own mind. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you if, if you leave something down in a certain place, it's like that better be there in that place when I get home or whatever. You know what I mean? It's it's like an extension of your mind. It is totally, and it's still, it's like the safest place where you can just be you. Exactly. Um, there's and I definitely, a, yeah. Sorry, you you go on. I was just gonna say I definitely think that that's evident when your room is messy versus when your room is tidy. Like my mental state changes drastically when my room is messy as opposed to when my room is tidy. Oh man, I have the box room in my house, and I literally mm. cannot fit anything else in it. So like, <laughs> people like give me things, or you know, like. Like, I, I got a giant Kinder Egg for Easter, and I got a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toy in it. And it's right now, it's parked nice. on top of my Xbox. Because I won't throw it out, because I'm uh, slightly annoyingly sentimental. But also, like, my girlfriend will buy me all of these little little things. Like, um, I have a little key ring with that crying smiley face, because she knows I hate it. So she buys me products with it on. I have, like, loads. <laughs> and they got it about my room. And, like, I have no space for anything else. And it stresses me out. So yeah. bad, and yet, like every morning, the first thing I do when I get up is I make my bed, and like I, yeah, I have yeah. to have it at at least at some acceptable level of cleanliness. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's it's um. Do you have any posters in your room out of interest? No, actually, That's uh, not in the room I'm currently in, but in my kind of my uh, your my, home. My, my, my home home, I would have had like so many, like would have would have had poems, movie posters, loads of music posters. Um, yeah, kind of everywhere. Like, I think at one point in my bedroom, every part of the wallpaper was covered by posters. Yeah, yeah, same. I've, like, right now in this room, I've got Star Wars, Fight Club, uh, Grand Theft Auto 5, 
Nice. Uh, train spotting, Lily Allen, Stone Roses, American Psycho, <laughs> like lot, lots of cool stuff that I just put on my wall. And yeah, um, yeah, it just it it's it's like such a. I remember when I was young, uh, Blink One Eight Two, their album Enema of the State. There's a song on it called Adam's Song, and it's a, a really like depressing song about a, a suicidal person. And when I was younger, I used to like listen to that song a lot. And there's just mm. a line in it, at the uh, in the chorus where it says, "I couldn't wait till I got home to pass the time in my room alone," and mm. I, I do that like quite a lot. I'll come home from work and just lie on my bed, and I'll just be like, I won't do anything or think anything. Even I'll just yeah, be like, "This yeah. is where I am, like I, I'm safe from everything here. I don't have to think anything or defend yeah, myself yeah. or express anything. This this is just where I am." I've actually thought about that before, and I realized that. I can actually measure how much I want to get home by how quickly I take my house keys out of my pocket. Really? Like, you know, yeah, sometimes I'll take them out like right before the door because like my, my mind's in a completely other place. I'm happy or whatever. And then other times, like I'm basically like at the end of the street and my key's already out. You know, I'm gunning for home. I'm dying to get home. I want to get up to my room. Relax. Yeah, yeah. I, like yeah. it's sort of almost unconscious and automatic. But I always thought like it's a really interesting metric of actually how much maybe subconsciously I want to just get home and chill. Yeah, it's so, it's so important. I, like I'm looking to move out now, and I'm looking at houses. Um, mm. Like I, I'm, I, I can't afford to move into a one bedroom by myself mm. because I'm mm. not a multimillionaire and I live in Dublin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But I'm looking at sharing, and like a deciding factor for me is how customizable the room is, like how big it is, how much space I'll have, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and. I feel like I can't even afford to be picky, but this is such an important thing for me. I, th I think specifically for me as an introvert as well, like I really need that alone time. Like, yeah. I'm not an outgoing person and I get quite agitated when I'm outside for too long, which sounds like a really good advertisement for myself. But mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. yeah, just, I don't know, just there's, there's such a safety with being at home in your room. Yeah, just, totally. Um, and, and like, especially then for introverts as well, who actually find excessive so socialization sort of noxious or painful or uneasy and uncomfortable. Like, it, it's, it's a real phenomenon. It's not sort of like, oh, I just don't like it per se. It's like, it actually sort of pains me, you know what I mean? To yeah. be out and being, like, hyper-stimulated all the time. And I think it's something that people who are gregarious or whatever don't really understand because yeah. they require that you know to sort of uh, to, to make them feel like they're alive whereas we feel like ironically we're dying yeah <laughs> if, we're, if we're stuck with too many people at once or whatever or especially kind of like new people or strangers or whatever like you know it's, it's fine after a while but just that initial like half an hour or hour it's just sort of like i would much prefer to be at home in bed listen to some music playing ps4 or whatever one of the best um, descriptions for introversion I've ever seen was someone who said, like, extroverts are the majority. Like, they they will always have plans for the weekend or, or else they'll make yeah. plans up on the fly. But sometimes they just need to chill out and they'll take a day, maybe once a month, to just sit in their room and do nothing or just watch TV all day, have a duvet day or whatever. And basically that day that is the day that introverts feel like they have to go out. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, they get tired of being in, because that's their default mode, and they want to go out. And, like, that's accurate, man. Yeah, it's very good. There's, like, it comes in spurts with me when I want to go out. (laughs) It's like, I'll have one weekend where I'm like, yes, gonna go out every day, get hammered, and whatever. And then back, and that's it. Like, three more weekends in my room (laughs) playing video games. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. I'd like to uh, talk more in depth about introversion and extroversion in a future yeah, episode, maybe. Um, definitely. We should probably run along with the topic here. Um, and personality in general, I think, which is kind of in a similar vein to that, like kind of introversion, extroversion is a subset of the big five of personality traits. Yeah. Of openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, let's stay on topic. So I, th- I think it's actually really good that you brought up your bedroom because in relation to the topic, I think the bedroom is the first instance or the most immediate instance of the externalization of ourselves, right? It's kind of, in a way to think about it, it's like the externalization of ourselves that we show ourselves and sometimes solely ourselves, right? Like it, it, you have to know someone very well or feel very comfortable with someone to take them into your bedroom because you're sort of showing a side of yourself that up until that point, perhaps you've only really shown a couple of people, a handful of people and mainly yourself, right? Totally, yeah. Yeah. And then like in relation to that, we were talking about posters and stuff like the vast majority of mine were music. And for a long time, like when I was an adolescent, it was Nirvana all the way. Like I think from the age of 13, I got maybe to 14 or 15, like I just listened to them religiously. Like it was kind of an obsession. And music for me was a way of sort of, I don't know, it's like solidifying my sense of existence through association with lyrics and music and somebody else outside of me to sort of ground me in the world like you know as a teenager you're full of that storm und drang or whatever they say in psychology like that sort of angst that kind of confusion that yeah and I think just being grounded in a kind of an externality that other people can associate with and relate to as well is very important because it gives you a more solidified identity that other people can kind of uh, look into and understand yeah i i've gotten to a point uh, i've spoken about this i don't think i spoke about it with you but i am now at a stage where i get really emotional to the point of tears when i'm at a concert of one of my favorite bands and mm. uh i don't I, like i hate it because it gets in the way of me it doesn't get in the way of me enjoying the concert but it just makes me feel really uncomfortable basically but yeah yeah um, it, I, don't, I, I, I can't even explain it and it's interesting because recently was the first time I ever heard of someone having a similar emotional reaction to something that I had where I felt like this should not be the appropriate emotional reaction and it was in the movie Wonder Woman um, okay you've seen it haven't you yeah, yeah. well there's a scene and i i do think that i felt this way because i am very familiar with the history of world war one because i listened to five episodes of dan carlin's hardcore history about it and if you're unfamiliar with dan carlin's hardcore history each episode is about five hours long so um i i i was all into that world war one uh stuff uh anyway there's a scene where she crosses no man's land she just stands up and holds out the shield and the bullets hit the shield and the music in that scene is perfect and the guy's reaction is perfect and you can see what it means to them and yeah and i fucking got a little bit teary in that scene interesting yeah i was listening to the empire film podcast and one of the guys it was an episode with two guys and two girls 
and one of the guys said the exact same thing, and he said it was because he understood the significance of those trenches in World War One. So um, I, I guess that was it, because that was what I felt about it too. But I got emotional watching the thing. That's my whole point here. Wow, and, yeah, interesting. And, yeah, and I don't understand why. I, like, I cried a little bit while I was watching Star Wars, The Force Awakens, but that's because it's Star Wars and it's back, and yeah, it's, it's just yeah. it's an incredible thing. Um, and I think we will talk about nostalgia a little bit later. But um, the whole thing of like being at concerts and feeling that emotional just, just solidifies how strong the connection is between people yeah. and the bands that they admire or listen to or exactly you know, relate to or and, whatever. and what's even what adds to the amazement of something like that is when you consider how inconsequential from an evolutionary point of view music is right yeah. like it's, it's it's absolutely incredible how it can move us so much while at the same time see seemingly offering no uh, evolutionary or species advantage, right? Like, isn't that just incredible? There's one advantage I could um, I could pick out about music is that they have proven that if you are feeling intense pain, listening to your favorite song will actually quell that pain. Okay, that's interesting. So I don't know that that really would count as an evolutionary advantage, but I mean, it's certainly not a disadvantage. Well, actually. It... It might be a disadvantage if you think the reason for pain is to tell you not to engage in a certain behavior, probably because that behavior may kill you and therefore yeah. you will pass on your genes. That's so true. in fact, if it quells pain, then it might actually be counterproductive. This is proof that evolution is fake. There's too many exactly. variables. <laughs> yeah. It's not real. But just talk, talking about your emotional reaction to music there reminded me of something from my own experience. So as I said before, I went through like a year or two years of listening to Nirvana and only Nirvana. And I mean that like seriously it was ridiculous because like how many albums they have uh four too many yeah <laughs> i still fucking love them i was listening there the other day but anyway um then i listened to radiohead i listened to the bends i was at, actually i i remember why i listened to it and it was because the song just has like the most nirvana-esque intro that sort of it's super nirvana-esque and i listened to that i saw it on mtv back when they played music what a video and, by the way oh and again yeah that's what i was going to say possibly in the top three videos of all time yeah um so anyway i was listening to it I was like this is incredible so i went up and i knew my dad had a really good uh, album collection so i looked forward it's like holy shit he has the album there it is just so i put it on and I've had incredible emotional reactions to music before. Like music for me is is up there in my top one or two uh, things that I enjoy. This was orgasmic. The effect I, I would close my eyes and I would have a whole body orgasm. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I, and I'm, I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart as an agnostic atheist, whatever. I would have a whole body orgasm from the start of Planet Telex to the end of Street Spirit Fade Out. I love Planet Telex. It's a great yeah. Song. Great it's, album, but it's opening. also good. Like, yeah, like the whole album. Like, there's there's literally only one or two tracks, and like, you know what? They're average enough. But they're like, it's so good. Like, my Iron Lung, just like you know, it's just Black Star. There's, I mean, like the first four tracks in there are just like yeah. wall to wall certified bangers. Like, yeah, fake plastic trees. Yeah, and like I. Uh, and then every time, I think it happened for about a month, I would listen to it. And I didn't even have an MP3 player at that stage. That's how far back this is. I had like a CD player. And I'd just be listening to it on that. And every time I'd turn it on, I'd just close my eyes and I would literally like 
for all intents and purposes, orgasm for like 40 fucking minutes. It was ridiculous. You're saying this because you are a licensed practitioner and you're not allowed to mention your heroin habit. Is that true? <laughs> well, of course I use heroin at the same time. Do you think that had an influence? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, but um, no, seriously, it was absolutely... And unfortunately, I don't get that effect anymore, nor have I ever had that effect with an, anything else since. So I can only look back and wonder that it did actually happen. Yeah, the the album for me is uh, Spiritual Machines by Our Lady Peace. And Ooh. I can remember, like... Um, they had a song, they actually used to play Chris Benoit's entrance music in wrestling, um, okay. it, which is sad because he then murdered his family and killed himself. Um, but, so sad. Yeah. Um, I remember I was I was like on LimeWire and I was downloading um, a couple of Our Lady Peace songs on dial-up connection, mm. which obviously took 14 days. <laughs> um, but... It was all their hits, like they, they've got a song called Innocent, which is just kind of garbage, like va- barely alt-rock, basically pop. Um, yeah. And like, I, I liked it at the time. I still I still listen to it and, and, and like jam out to it, but it's it's not a good song, I don't think. Yeah, um, yeah. But one of, the, one of the songs I downloaded was called Right Behind You, um, and I listened to it, and it was completely different to any of their other songs. So I was just really curious. I found the album on Amazon. I begged my mum to buy it for me, and she did. And it arrived like a week later, and it just fucking blew my mind. It, like I had never heard music like it before. Um, yeah, it's very atmospheric, and it's mm. also got um, a complete like meaning embedded in it about the technological singularity um it's based on a book by ray kurzweil called the age of spiritual machines and ray kurzweil is featured on the album in a, a couple of um really cool little um speaking parts and stuff nice i love yeah songs that have those yeah it's it's such a great album and just uh, like so i started listening to their other stuff and basically their first four albums are just really good all completely different from each other um nice. really thematic and uh, like I, I love albums that are thematic i hate albums that sound like a bunch of songs together yeah exactly exactly it's um, like ba- yeah it's, back in the day that's what an album was meant to be like sometimes bands didn't even put their singles on the album because they mightn't have fit yeah like yeah. Th- there used to be like singles and then you'd have okay the album which was like a concept it was an idea it was like kind of uh th- th- the whole was better than the sum of its parts because they were all put together. Yeah. And like you'll never get an album these days where the singles aren't on it. It's kind of sad. Actually, I would disagree with that. Really? Yeah. The um, I, I think... I, I don't have the numbers, but I think in the year 2015, in within the top 10 biggest singles of that year, globally, I reckon... Five of them are not on albums. There was uh, See You Again by Wiz Khalifa, which was in the Fast and Furious movie, uh, the scene where Paul Walker drives away in his car and mysteriously never comes back. Um, there was Hotline Bling by Drake, which, I granted, is actually on the album Views, but it's only there as a bonus track, and that was released like 18 months after the song was released, so I don't... It wasn't exactly the song that was released as the lead single to the album. So okay, yeah. I'm not going to count that. Um, there was Kanye's song, All Day. Probably not one of the bigger singles, but Kanye did have a song called Only One. 
and him and Rihanna and Paul McCartney had the song Four or Five Seconds, which was not on an album either. Um, okay. There's more. There, there's more. I actually think now we live in the age of the song and not the age of the album, and that's why they don't thematically match anymore because yeah. people make albums now to set streaming records and not to sell anything. So I, Yeah, yeah. Um but there is a definite move away from the structured concept of an album. Yeah. Um, and it's really noticeable. And the one thing I'll say about torrent websites is that it, it is pretty cool that at least when you download a, uh, an album, it gives you the cover art and sometimes it gives you the linear notes and stuff like that. Um, whereas you don't get that on Spotify or, or Apple yeah. Music or anything like that. Well, what I do, I, Apple Music's kind of coming around a bit. Like, you get a kind of, you, you get the lyrics now in Apple Music, which I think is amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and then obviously, yeah, the the cover, like, just the kind of album art itself, but not the liner notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I said linear notes. I guess they're sort of linear in a way. <laughs> yeah, but it's not spelled like linear notes. I've never heard someone <laughs> say it out loud before, and I've been saying it as linear notes in my head for the last 20 years, so. Yeah. That's good. I think the greatest concept album of all time has to be the dark side of the moon. Um Yeah, I guess so. I'm not a huge fan of Pink Floyd. Really? Why? I like I do like them, but I think it gets overlooked how many bad albums they had. And I think a lot of iconic bands from that time it gets overlooked how much like actual garbage they released. Um Do you think, yeah? Well, I have fifteen Pink Floyd albums. Like right. But how many had me. Sid Barrett? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Like, there's some on there that are just really overblown and just like, okay, I like this song, but I do not need to listen to 54 minutes of <laughs> just the, yeah. just this song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I think. Uh, I, I don't. The moon I don't the think. Wall. I don't think they're overrated or anything like that. I just couldn't get into them myself. Yeah, yeah. And to follow Dark Side of the Moon, which was the biggest selling album of the year like it was in the charts in like four years yeah uh to follow that with wish you were here i thought was extremely like just genius um wish you were like, here is only there's only six tracks on that album is that five i think five yeah uh yeah so it's got have a cigar shine on you to crazy diamond yeah. yeah have a cigar and then wish you were here and then shine on you crazy diamond oh part but it's two, it's yeah. it's still yeah but well part seven to nine or whatever oh it's yeah like, but it but it's like 45 minutes long because i think both shine on songs are like in the 15 to 20 minute range yeah i think welcome to the machine is like eight minutes or nine yeah minutes or yeah something. it's still kind of like full length yeah. but there's some parts in shine on you crazy diamond like guitar from david gilmore that just blow your mind yeah yeah. Yeah, they like they are a cool band. I'm just I I just yeah, could never yeah. properly get into them. But that I'm, yeah, I like yeah. that with a lot of iconic bands too, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, music is music is an incredibly tribal experience too. Like when you go to a gig, like it it's weird yeah. to think that you are standing in a crowd shouting out lyrics to songs. Yeah, like, yeah. You could be at a football match. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's and and, and and there's a common thread that ties all the participants together there's sort of an understanding there's a belongingness right yeah which i presume is the same like i don't follow soccer or football or whatever but i presume that's what you get when you see uh, football teams live as well yeah yeah definitely that's what and it's all even about mo 
Exactly. And, and even with that, like you're more ostensibly associating yourself with the team, like with jerseys and scarves and all that stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always thought that the, the football thing was kind of interesting. It, it, it's almost juvenile in a way, you know what I mean? That all these people, like it, it, it's a game, like you're watching people and you're kind of getting involved even if you're not a player or you have no skill at all. Um, but it, it, it's so ubiquitous, like globally. It's like the, the biggest pastime of males across the world. Yeah, I'm going to call myself out here and say that I have been guilty of having a a somewhat snobby attitude towards football fans for the last couple of years because I I just got sick of listening to them. Like, the cognitive dissonance it takes for mm. them to, like... It just I, I just fucking hated all the tribalism about football fandom. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, I couldn't even... I don't think I could count on, on one hand how many... I'm saying that in the sense that I would need another hand to count it because it's that many. <laughs> how many mosh pits I have participated in at concerts. And how, yeah. like, if a football fan were to see that and say, this is pathetic, you're acting like a child here, this is really tribal, I wouldn't have any comeback to that because it's ultimately the same thing that, that they do at football matches. And also, I am a football fan and I go to football matches, so I'm allowed to, to slag other football fans for the same thing. But yeah, I go to concerts and I go into mosh pits. Like, that, that, that's ridiculous. It's <laughs> yeah. such a fucking stupid thing to do. It, like, it doesn't make any sense, and yet I get, like, endless enjoyment from it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm jealous of the uh, enjoyment people get from football, to be fair. Yeah. I just, I just don't get into it. Same as kind of like we've talked about before. Um, like, WWE and all that. Yeah, I'm jealous of the enjoyment people get out of it. Oh man, you know what? If Conor McGregor knocks Floyd Mayweather out, I um, oh my god, I am never coming back to Earth. I'm gonna be yeah. like in space and just delirious and so happy for a long, long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, forty nine so... and one. Can you imagine? Yep, tarnishing his entire career of like one of the pound for pound best fighters of all time. Conor McGregor four years ago on the dole. A plumber from Dublin. What a legend. I know. <laughs> and like, and I think he's an example as well, kind of, of like the, the externalization of ourselves, right? Like kind of living by proxy, basking in reflected glory. And I don't mean that in a sort of selfish sense or an immature sense, but just sort of like a, a lot of people are inspired by him. You know what I mean? A lot of people incorporate his psyche as we see it from the outside yeah. Into into themselves, like you hear so many stories of people who've like literally changed their lives or like turned their lives around because they got into Conor McGregor and like kind of like conceiving of things allowed them to manifest them in reality and they worked hard at it. And I have that, I have yeah. that exact thing with Kanye West and have done for the so last interesting. like two years. Just like I I I think I could write a thesis about why he is an important philosopher in this era and if i just changed his name from kanye west to something else and yeah. cite, and cited all the reasons why i believe this i think it would be credible like yeah. i i think just the way he speaks about self-belief is inspiring and yeah i i think he gets a he obviously has a really bad reputation with people who aren't fans of him like there's no such thing as neutral on kanye really yeah yeah and that's fair enough he doesn't help himself 
Um, I think he does get treated a little bit unfairly from time to time, but I think when you are a personality as wacky as he is, you just lend yourself to being taken out of context because not everyone is going to understand. Um, and that's fine. I don't have any issue with that. People are totally entitled to that opinion. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I think just the way he, I don't know, the way he talks about his self-belief and stuff, like, it is absolutely amazing, I think. And, um, yeah. like, I'll stand behind it. I just, I think it's great. I, I think yeah. the concept of, of choosing an idol to live vicariously true is a really interesting one. Um, because I've never really understood it. Like, there's nobody really that I idolize or want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people that I, that I definitely draw inspiration from, but I don't, uh, I don't really have like an ultimate hero. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of. I, I I don't either, and like kind of rationally, I think that that's probably a better way to be than to be following someone and kind of looking up to them to such an extent where nearly if, if they change at all, it would completely shatter your sense of self and your worldview. Right? That's that seems true. like a like a very unshaky and capricious way to live. Like, it's very uncertain. I love to have, like, kind of very strict certainty and dependability or whatever in my worldview. So I guess it it wouldn't work, like, you know? There's no celebrity I could could go on Mastermind with the knowledge of, you know what I mean? Where they'd be like, what was John Bon Jovi's birthday? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) there's no celebrity I could do that with. Like, there's no celebrity I know that much about. And that includes people whose books I've read and, like... Who I, yeah, who I yeah. follow on Twitter and like check their Wikipedia page once a week to see what's up, like that kind of thing. Yeah, there's just there's not a lot of information in my head I have about one particular person. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess like I know a lot about a lot of celebrities, but nothing that I would consider to be more than a person who was also a fan of that person. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so are you going to apply to be uh, Kanye's surrogate mother? Yeah. <laughs> no, I I think. Uh, in all honesty, I don't think I would even like to meet Kanye because, A, I don't think he would have anything to say to me because he'd be so wrapped up in himself. And, <laughs> B, I just don't think I'd be able to have a conversation with him about anything because he's, yeah. on, another, like, he's on another intellectual plane to me. And I don't know about that. I think he is. I don't think he's above or below, but I just think that... There, I don't really think there are many things that he could say like he talks about art and and just yeah, even like yeah. the music he listens to is so much different to mine like i just don't think that there's that there are many things i would have in common with him i think meeting him would be uh, very interesting from my part but nothing beyond that it would be like a completely wasted venture if i were looking for inspiration or something like that but i would love to meet noel gallagher so, yeah yeah uh, noel if you're listening <laughs> give me a shout um, yeah yeah but yeah, the the culture of celebrity worship is really, really interesting to me. And, and it's on the increase as well, I think. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we lost our faith in God and gained yeah. this love um, and given this status to celebrities. Exactly, yeah. We've, we've just basically uh, misplaced or replaced our value system. Yeah, and it's not too dissimilar to um, the ancient Greeks and the way that they... Like Zeus yeah. and, and Ares and, and all of those guys, 
like they would have stories coming out weekly about them in in yeah. like Greek newsletters that were coming out that week and stuff. Like they were basically the celebrities of the time. As hard as it is to wrap your head around that concept, um, people yeah, people would just treat them as though they existed and they did all of this weird stuff. Whereas we have like however many celebrities who make the news all the time for the weird things that they do and it people talk about it all the time and that's how someone gets etched into eternity you know yeah headline like uh 1000 bc zeus drank my liquor and smashed my pickup truck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah no totally and i honestly think that the west in general is I think you can see that it's suffering from lack of a fixed value system. Yeah, totally. From a, like I, I do think like as Nietzsche said, uh, and I've heard kind of repeated by intellectuals like Jordan Peterson, when God is dead, the West will fall. Like you know, we can't invent our own value systems, and I think that's why we're we're, we're basically just trying our hardest to pin them on someone or something that we can aspire to be or. I think we're craving someone above ourselves, some somebody or something supernatural. But obviously, that will never work when you put it on like a, a living, breathing human being. You know, unless it's Clark Kent. Exactly. Yeah. Well, he's not coming back after that last episode. Fucking hell. Thank God. Worst yeah, yeah. Fucking superhero ever. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I. Actually, no. It was linked to me by one of my followers. This is a Twitter account called Dems for Trump. Democrats who who okay, like Donald Trump, okay. and um, I saw this video that they had where it was like this was the moment I knew nothing could stop Donald Trump, and mm. it was literally just a shaky overhead newscopter shot of Donald Trump walking from his car into a building, and there were um, I don't know where they aides or security guards or whatever next to him, but he was walking, and the it was set to the the song Seven Nation Army. So it was just Trump like taking these really purposeful strides, and in the background, just like, Jesus. And this person like made, that made this video was like, look at him, look at the way he was. This is so uh, right. And I looked at that and I laughed because a Dems for Trump. Are you fucking kidding me? And yeah. B the video itself was was very cheesy and like it was badly made and it's stuff. It's like something David Brent would do. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but like, but I'm I'm not even like I'm not even saying that about it because I swear to fucking god man when Liam Gallagher walked out on stage at the uh, the One Love Manchester concert like I just fucking like my heart exploded like I was so happy like there, yeah. there's some guy online who painted a picture of him singing at that concert and he's selling prints of it and like I am gonna fucking buy one and it's gonna go on my door right above the Expanse poster and like I nice. couldn't even tell you why I don't even like the guy I reckon if I met him he would have not a single good thing to say about me and yet for yeah. some reason I just I just think he's the fucking man like he, he is an objective yeah he's, he's an objectively bad person like he, yeah. he he has done terrible things to people <clears throat> And, like, I don't even think he's capable of empathy. I think he has no understanding yeah. of anything outside of himself. And yet, yeah. <laughs> I just think he's the man. <laughs> the man. Like, what is that, though? Like, what, what am I looking for myself in him? Like, do I wish I had his swagger and his confidence? Or, or like, I, I, I don't even understand it myself. I just think he's he's great. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd say it's a bit of, bit of that, all right. Probably something more to it as well. 
Like he does have the objectively cooler voice out of the two. He has he has one of the coolest voices in rock and roll history. Yeah, yeah. And um, and if you if you don't subscribe to that, then at least like you cannot deny that it is one of the most iconic voices in rock and roll history. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Like and just the, but the confidence is, is supernatural. Like like he basically has the biggest swagger of all time. Yeah, I, I I watch so many Oasis live videos all the time, every yeah. single night. Like, I absolutely fucking love them. Yeah. Like, Was he just off his face in those, or was he actually, like, competent and coherent? Uh, I don't know if he's ever competent and coherent, and I'm not saying <laughs> that as a joke. I genuinely... I think it's impossible to know what's going on in his head at any yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, like yeah it's really strange yeah. he he's such an interesting figure for such a uh, like and i feel bad for saying this but like just such a simple man if you ever like he doesn't ever give a complex answer to anything yeah his, his answers when he speaks are barely even fucking audible half the time like he's never made a point about something that's made me think yes that's correct like he just he, just, he has no real opinions or like you know, intellectually, he is a shell of a man, and yet I mm. think he's just fucking amazing, and I can't explain yeah. why. I can't yeah. explain it. It's, it's... Did you see that recent video uh, about him, or, like, he's talking about him and Steve Coogan? No. Yeah, it was really funny. He's, like, the first and only time I ever met Steve Coogan, and it was just kind of, like, talking about a night out they had and how crazy it was, and waking up the next day to this kind of curled-up body on the bed, and he walked <laughs> over and, like, poked it with his finger and like Steve Coogan just turned around and like boo it's me or whatever like that <laughs> yeah and then just like ran out I think and he's like yeah and I've never seen him again that's so weird <laughs> oh I love Steve Coogan um you know while the topic is how we externalize ourselves um I, I don't know if this will lend itself to an interesting discussion or not but um I think if you had to rank the top five Oasis fans that you know personally, I would probably be in the top two or... Oh, I think you'd be number one, yeah. Yeah. And yet, I don't externalize that at all. I Like, I don't have any Oasis merch. Oh, there's a word for that. Shame. <laughs> but it kind of is, right? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of that I am very aware of, A, what people will think of me, and B, yeah. how people will treat me. Yeah. Now, not to the point of like if if I was wearing a Limp Biscuit T-shirt or something, but like I know that my credentials as a music fan will not be taken seriously if people find out that I like Oasis as much as I do. Yeah. And well, see, the interesting thing is like if you go back to the '90s, say Britpop, Oasis versus Blur, I think Oasis are cooler, yeah. but I think unquestionably Blur were better. Uh, artists and I know that sounds ridiculous but like even a song such as there's no di uh, no distance left to run like I don't think Oasis has any song that is that melancholy deep and introspective yeah no I totally agree like you know what I mean like that sort of thing like the, the Blur were just so self-aware and I think that actually hampered them because they were trepidatious cautious and you know what I mean? Whereas Oasis were just like, you know what, we're going to fucking create like some of the coolest guitar in the world, have one of the coolest singers in the world, and just talk about how amazing we are. And I think people just bought into that and loved it, you know? And Blur were like, holy shit, are we as good as we want to be? Like, existential crisis personified. Yeah. And but, but while they were experiencing that, they were putting out amazing music that sort of capitalized on it. But again, they just did not have the swag factor that Oasis had. And they could have had. 
Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Like, Song 2 is badass, and the way Damon Albarn looks in that video is definitely... Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's definitely... It makes him look like a rock star. And even the, the song, um, There's No Other Way, or She's So High. Like, yeah. I, don't think, I, I think She's So High especially would not sound out of place on an Oasis album. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But I, I just thought there was always some some level, either above or below Oasis, that Blur had that kind of just taps into that sense of doubt, but that you never get in an Oasis song. You never sort of feel, shit, I'm unsure of myself. You always feel, oh, I'm ready to fucking conquer the world, you know? Um, I, I, I am or have been preparing a thesis in my head for the last year about the album <laughs> Be Here Now and how it, in a really meta way, predicted their downfall and there's a song on it called it's getting better man okay in the chorus the song starts out right with i don't want to make this too much about oasis but at the same time i love (laughs) nothing uh, yeah yeah um the the this there's a lyric in the in the song that goes um i made that sound like i was gonna sing it but don't worry (laughs) it was just something in my throat Um, yeah yeah it goes i'd I'd love if you belched after that (laughs) It goes, say something, shout it from the rooftops off your head, make it kind of mean something, make me understand or I'll forget. And that line is, or that little whatever, that's literally what their career is. Say something, shout it from the rooftops, make it sort of mean something, whatever. And then in the chorus of that song, it goes, uh, maybe the songs that we sing are wrong, maybe the dreams we dream are gone. And it, they... It does say it's getting better, man, after that. But mm. I don't think they ever do anything to really um, yeah, eradicate yeah. that creeping D- doubt that's coming yeah, into the track. Yeah. And like that's, that's really interesting to me because I don't think Oasis would really ever think on that level. But I do know that when Noel Gallagher writes a song, he's not just looking for words that rhyme with the word he's written down. Like, yeah, it yeah. has to come from somewhere, you know? So yeah, yeah. if there ever was any lingering doubt, I think he's spoken um, really well, actually, about when they played Nebworth and how afterwards he felt terrible because he just felt like there was nowhere left to go after that. Like that was the yeah. week and that they should have just disappeared after they did it, which, yeah, which would have been fucking amazing. And it would have made them so fucking more famous than they are. Even. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's I should probably stop talking about Oasis. Cause I feel like, like not everyone likes them, even though everyone does actually like them. And yeah. the people who, who protest the most about how bad Oasis are and how all their songs are the same three-chord progression, <laughs> they're the same fucking cunts who throw their arms around you at the end of the night and they fucking shout every word to Don't Look Back in Anger. Yeah, yeah. So fuck every one of you. I just think the intro to Roll With It is one of the coolest fucking intros of all time. It's great. Like I, I just can't get over the, the chords and just kind of how immediate i don't know what it is about it it's just so fucking it's like swagger in music form i don't know yeah the, I, I love the line do you know i think i recognize your face but i've never seen you before yeah i love that like i don't know it's it's just it's clever but it's simple and it's obvious but no one else yeah. is doing it so it's yeah um, yeah but yeah so um i think that's a good kind of chat about music yeah and about how music <laughs> what music means to us and how much it appeals to us and like, I still don't understand why, as human beings, it's important to us. And 
why people have spent their lives composing, creating, and mastering it. But uh, I'm sure happy they did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, very, very strange and interesting. Yeah. Um, what should we talk about next? Should we talk about like maybe movies or? Yeah, Defo. I think movies is good. Movies is is a great one because it's a barometer I use to judge a person, and more often than not, I'm correct. Mm. So, <laughs> if someone's favorite actor is like Jim Carrey or yeah Seth Rogen, well, Jim Carrey is actually good. But if someone if someone loves like James Franco and Seth Rogen movies, like I am such a dickhead about it, and I I can't help myself but think that they know less about movies than I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think as well, sort of, you can really uh, grasp the sense of the fact that you're externalizing yourself with movies when you consider, like, with a group of friends or whatever, and then, like, offering up, hey, guys, do you want to go see X? Because you're basically saying X is something I'd like, it's something I can relate to or whatever, you know what I mean? And then depending on what X is or the quality of it, you're being judged, right? And you're hoping that they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'd like to see that too or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. So movies definitely are kind of a illustration of ourselves in some way. And then as well, kind of like music uh, concerts, you go see it in groups. It's not a private thing. It's sort of like a communal thing where you sort of associate with the people you're going with and all that sort of thing. Yeah. At least in the cinema. Would you ever go to a movie or a concert by yourself? Uh, I was at a concert by myself not that long ago. Uh, I went to see Manish Preachers play the Holy Bible in its entirety, which was absolutely unreal but uh i i wouldn't do it too frequently yeah i i've done it once but it was while i was on tour with the band so it, it wasn't really like i was actually there by myself it's like i was on tour with the band <laughs> yeah yeah they were they were busy at the time so <laughs> i didn't like hang out with them but i i watched the show by myself in the crowd um mm. And it was kind of, I, I, I kind of can't really enjoy that at all um, yeah. when I'm by myself. I, I can't really enjoy anything when I'm by myself. And mm. I could never travel by myself or, or do anything like that. I, I, I could probably go see a movie by myself, but it would have to be one where I know there's not going to be other people there judging me because they know I'm yeah. by myself. Um, That's really interesting. I, I kind of, I, I kind of agree with that. Like I kind of, almost needs someone to be there to nearly validate the experience. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. that's exactly what it is. Like, my girlfriend has um, traveled places by herself, and I just can't understand how that's enjoyable. Yeah. But I will also say this. I, I, I don't really care that much about seeing places or, or stuff like that. Like, that doesn't really interest me at all. Like, mm. I'm far more interested in fictitious universes like that you see in movies and here in albums yeah, than, yeah. than I am with the real world like I, you know I, I'd much rather listen to an album by my favorite band than look at the Mona Lisa for example so I, yeah yeah I feel like less of a person when I say that but like fuck it it's true so what yeah. can you do <clears throat> if you had one movie that you think uh portrays a part of you that is possibly like the most real or the most true part of you what movie would you like to show someone in order for them to kind of understand the most about you? Oh, that's a hell of a question. And I feel like there is an answer too. I just can't think of what it would be right now. Yeah. Um, I guess the movie Goodfellas, because my association... Because I'm a good fella. <laughs> <laughs> well, just 
my long-time involvement in organized crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and your love of pizza. Yeah, my love of pizza. And my love of throwing people into the oven when yeah. they when they bring my maths results <laughs> home from school in the mail. <laughs> because they're a mailman. Um, <sighs> okay, I, I, interesting. How come? Um, I, I actually, I, I just, I just said that to make the joke. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I actually, I think there's a movie, um, I can't remember the name of it, but I actually don't want to say it either because it would be too personal and it would share too much about myself. Jeez, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a really tough, do you have one? Yeah, I think I do. Like, I've thought about this uh, for a long time and, and I've seen the movie years ago and it's, it's always resonated and uh, kind of I can relate to it in a way that I've never related to anything else. Either I feel before or since. And it's a movie called Jacob's Ladder with Tim Robbins. Oh, I've never seen it. It's absolutely incredible. It's uh, sort of a cult classic. It's not that well known, but the people like who have watched it kind of rave about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 not that kind of yeah it's it's not that well known but it's basically set during the Vietnam War, and there's a group of American soldiers who after the war are worried that their government used psychotropics or psychedelics in order to make them kind of fight better, which sort of has some truth to it. There's some allegations that the U.S. government, in conjunction like with CIA etc., and I guess the MK Ultra would that be yeah. part of that perhaps tried to develop like super soldiers and they even like tried putting LSD into the drinking water they sent over with the troops to see what sort of effect that would have on them. But basically that's kind of the general premise. And then basically Tim Robbins is the protagonist. And when he gets home, it's him trying to make sense of what he experienced there um, under what he thought was the influence of psychotropics and how that evolves over time and how his sense of self. And he's also had, there's a bereavement in the family. He loses, he's lost his son in the past and how he's trying to make sense of that. And it's absolutely incredible. And it talks about how the switch from demons to angels develops dependent on how you view the world around you, uh, ah. which just has always resonated with me, how what you think are demons could actually, who you think are demons trying to tear you from this world might in fact be angels trying to deliver you to something greater. And I just always thought that was incredible because obviously I'm hugely influenced by the Irish philosopher George Barclay, who was an idealist, who basically said that the only things we can ever know truly exist are ideas. We can never kind of step outside of our brain and see something objectively. Everything we ever know of the world is subjective. I always thought that, OK, so the way you view the world is hugely influential on your understanding of it. And the fact that all we have are ideas, perhaps you, if you sort of try and i don't know change the lens through which you're viewing it in a in a different way perhaps the world itself could change if the world is the idea of the world then if your idea of it changes then so should the world and i always just thought that that was incredibly profound and i've never really encountered that in a similar way in any other movie before and i'd really recommend anyone who hasn't watched it to watch it it's incredible yeah that is fucking awesome and there's a cameo by a young Macaulay Culkin in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Before Michael Jackson got to him. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> that sounds fucking mad, though. It is, and it's it's super freaky. So if anyone doesn't want to be freaked out, maybe watch it like during the day or with someone, because like it will sort of like it's one of those movies that just makes you fucking. Like, I I don't know how to describe it. You just sort of after you watch it, you're like freaked out. 
Yeah. Like signs or... Exactly like signs. Ah, Yeah, that sort of sort of, oh my God, like there's something more than just what's happening, happening. That's pretty Like, you know, it's like the kind of dawning of the understanding where in signs, it's like, oh my God, that's why the water was there. That's why he has asthma. That's why the brother plays uh, baseball. You know what I mean? And as you connect the dots, you have that like kind of aha moment, moment of epiphany, as Joyce would say. And you're just like, shit, there's actually, how, how is this happening? Like, it's, it's, it's incredible. That's why I love signs. I'm going to put that movie on my watch list. Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. Because oh, Jacob's Ladder, yeah. It, it's it's crazy to me that I've I've never heard of it because, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, like I am such a huge movie fan. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I guess, it, it, I guess it's not that strange because I think I've only seen two Tim Robbins movies. Mm. Um, and one of those is the uh, Tenacious <laughs> D movie. So. Um, All right. And do you know who else is in it? I think you know, Marcellus Wallace from Pulp Fiction. Uh, the big black guy who tells Bruce Willis to take a dive. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure he's in it, too. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a super cool cast, super interesting. Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant movie. Like, I, it's, I, it's I think um, I, I can't give an exact answer to your question, right? Um, mm. But I think the closest movie that I can think of that I felt 100% like I wa- like it could have been based on me uh you know with with based on me not not following actual events that happened in my life but um the movie The Way Way Back have you ever seen it No it's um it's a coming of age movie right but that's the point coming of age movies are the only movies I watch that make me feel like I am the protagonist um, Interesting. And I watch all of them, like a- any new one that comes out, anything like that. Um, and and I resonate with the main character. And I, I, <laughs> I think it it it's a really good example of the differing intellectual planes that exist between us. That your favorite movie is one that makes you interpret the entire world and your experience <laughs> of it in a slightly different way. And mine is a movie that makes me remember <laughs> that you can have like some really shit experiences as a kid but you can still actually turn out all right and um yeah the, like it may as well be Fifel goes west or something yeah yeah like the, <laughs> the thing in the way way back is um like the opening shot of the movie is is this kid sitting in the back of a car i don't know how old he is 15 or 16 maybe mm. um they're going on a summer vacation thing i don't know do they call it something else in america mm. i'm not sure but the, it's it's his mom and his sister in the car and then his mom's uh, boyfriend and his, his mom's boyfriend is played by steve carell and everyone's asleep in the car except for um the boy protagonist and steve carell and steve carell asks him to rate himself out of 10 just as the kind of person that he is and he says i don't know like a five or something and steve carell goes i think you're more of a four let's let's try and get you to behave like a six this weekend or something like something to that yeah yeah and it's like it's great because steve carell is actually a really good actor um Mm. he plays such a dickhead in this movie it's not really a comedy but there's funny moments in it sam rockwell is in it and he's one of my favorite actors of all time um but the just the kids sort of distorted and shattered version of reality from his angst is basically just yeah like that is that is what i feel like my entire adolescent experience was 
and every time I watch those movies, I feel everything that the protagonist feels, and I spend the whole movie rooting for them. And it always fucking works out. And even when it doesn't work out, they always find a safe, comfortable, philosophical place that they can achieve and go, well, I don't have the thing I wanted, but I have this, and I I may have had it all along, but I've just rediscovered it, or something like that. Yeah, And I yeah. always feel a sense of satisfaction when that person achieves that in the movie. And so that's why... Um, that those yeah. movies just they they really fucking they speak to me an embarrassing amount. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, I love them. They're, they're my favorite genre of movie, like without a doubt. Speaking of Steve Carell, another one of his movies that I actually think is absolutely incredible is Anchorman. No, uh, <laughs> it's um, Little Miss Sunshine. Oh yeah, Little Miss Sunshine is pretty good. I, I, I think that's absolutely incredible movie and my favourite moment in it is that time when her brother finds out that he's colorblind. Yeah. and the entire movie he's talking about how he wants to be a fighter pilot and that's all he wants to do and he's not happy like nothing else kind of uh, invigorates him or motivates him and then he finds out that like I think it was Steve Carell actually who tells him that he needs to be to have colour vision in order to do it and he just kind of jumps from the car and starts screaming Yeah, and like it's just such a poignant moment like and it always gets me like i always feel so bad for him and like you know you get emotional and yeah and he and, I, and he was the character it shouldn't surprise you now to learn that he's the character i was rooting for the whole way through the movie really yeah 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 he's i couldn't give a shit about that little girl i, I <laughs> and her Abigail fucking Breslin, wasn't it yeah it was yeah and her cunt dad yeah. greg kinnear yeah yeah i love greg and kinnear that's... he just plays such a dickhead in everything he's in <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but he's so good at it. Yeah, yeah, he's great. So good at it. And also about um, Jacob's Ladder, actually, which was really, really weird. For such an obscure uh, movie, uh, I was listening to a Radiohead song, or a song Tom York was doing, and he actually audio samples one of the best quotes from the movie in it. No way. And I listened to that Tom York song like a decade after watching the movie and it absolutely blew my mind because like for the last 10 years I'm like this is the best movie ever why is not everyone watching it or has watched it yeah and then I just hear Tom York singing and then it cuts to like some audio sample from the movie I'm like oh my god oh man I love when that happens like Radiohead are my be all end all favorite band of all time um and then like something like that happens where my favorite movie meets my favorite band and frontman and I'm just like this is just divine. This yeah. is sublime. This is incredible. Um, another movie for me would be Boyhood. Have you ever seen it? Cool. I did actually watch it in the cinema when it came out in the IFI. I fucking love it. It's so Fascinating. goddamn good. Yeah. Um, the Ethan Hawke is like... It is Ethan Hawke that I'm thinking of, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the most underrated actors. I always get him confused yeah. uh, with Christian Slater because they're both always in B action movies. From and, the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Ethan yeah. Hawke, man. The, his his transition in that movie, like, and it's so yeah. fucking good. This is going to be a really good segue into our next talking point, by the way. Um, so, mm. so so check this out. But the way it goes from him being, like, he's he's not a good dad. He wants to be their friend, not their dad. And yeah. um, he's gone around stealing the uh, is it is it the Mitt Romney or is it the George Bush the Mitt Romney signs I think. Uh, Shit, I can't remember. Yeah, oh man, would it have been that election? No, no, it's the he's taken the George Bush signs away, and it's it's Al Gore. He wants yeah. Al Gore to win. That's what it is. I think so. Yeah. Um, or is it even that actually? I'm is it sure. further back than that? No, no, no. I think. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I think he might actually go through two phases of this in the movie because I, he definitely wants Obama to win at one point. Um, but like wh- while he's this stuttering, like terrible dad who just cannot straighten his life out, he's a huge advocate for all these things left, like all these liberal values. And as he <clears throat> becomes a more stable man, he marries into a, a clearly Republican family and he, he takes his kids shooting and yeah it's i found that to be so interesting and so well done and so inoffensively done like so unpolitically done you know what i mean yeah it it was a believable character arc and not a political statement because i don't think richard linkletter is a is a is a conservative like um or a liberal either way i don't think i've ever heard his like political opinions but Mm. his movies certainly don't um have any like vibrating political message going through them or anything so um but yeah, I, I just thought that that was a great character arc, and it, it made me think a lot about how um, his political alignment is related specifically to how stable like his life is at the time, and how stable exactly. his, his sense of self-worth and everything like that is. And I thought yeah. that would be uh, an interesting way we could move into talking about uh, politics and how we externalize ourselves when it comes to our political identity. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and there's so many different ways to, to, to look at this as an externalization of our sense of self, because there is obviously the objective brain, which is an interesting thing to talk about, because there have been studies to show that there are kind of structural and functional differences between uh, like people who would be putatively Republican versus uh, Democrat. And then obviously there's differences in ideology and beliefs and and, and kind of I think it would be pretty important to talk about the recent shift from the left, which has kind of taken a much more radical turn, it seems, yeah. in terms of like the anti-fascist movement and, and that sort of thing, where they're very much kind of feet on the ground, uh, wreaking havoc, some might say. Some might say they're, I don't know, uh, rebelling against a uh, totalitarian fascist regime. Some might say we will find a brighter day. <laughs> you know what some might say. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, oh yeah, and also about uh, Ethan Hawke, Dead Poets Society was one of my favourite movies growing up. You know, I've never seen it. I just think it's like one of the best movies to show like young teen or even preteen guys about like the importance of like education and how much pleasure you can get out of literature and poetry and just how that can improve you as a person. You know, just incredible movie. It's also and Robin great Williams to, is brilliant. It's great to stand on tables and say, oh, captain, my captain. It is, it is indeed. <laughs> that was, um, shit, what poet is that? Oh, captain, my captain. Was it, uh, was it Liam Gallagher? <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, Jarvis Cocker. <laughs> Pope, what a band. Can't believe we didn't mention them when we brought up Britpop. Yeah. No, it was Walt Whitman. Shit, it's just hit me now. Walt Whitman, I think. But but the people who say Pulp are better than Oasis and Blur can just fuck off. <laughs> Shit, was it John Donne? Damn. I'm actually going to Google this because... I, I like hate. I like John Donne because he spells it like D-O-N-N-E. No, Walt Whitman. Phew. Phew. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Walt Whitman. Brilliant. Okay, yeah. So um, in, in terms of politics, you started off. So uh, anything about it that you think is interesting in terms of externalizing your sense of self? 
so you've got a very kind of balanced view politically anyway do you think so there's a lot of I people think so. that wouldn't agree um i'll yeah. say that i'll say this about my uh, political leaning um is that i i actually think that i started out um i i've i, I was never really interested in politics as a kid or or even as a teenager but um my main um ventures into any realm of political discussion as a kid were always uh, emotionally charged. Um, like, I definitely used to think that uh, f- feminism or women wanting more rights and stuff like that, I always thought of it as a cancer and I always hated it. I, I always thought that we should refuse refugees access because um, they shouldn't be coming over here taking our jobs, they, they shouldn't be signing up to the dole here. Um, all of those things, I was very, very conservative. And then um, I had this class in fifth and sixth year, which was uh, when I was uh, 15 and 16, like just a kind of like a really important year, I guess, for um, for development. But it was kind of just a time in my life where I didn't really have a whole lot of external factors to uh, to maybe manipulate or attempt to control my opinions on these things mm. where I think I was um, it would have been very possible for me to do that um, I had mm. a, ver- a very like elastic uh, opinion sphere about these things and all you needed to do was convince me so um, while my teacher was making all these points I would rail against it and be like well no if she has a problem with this country she should move back to Australia stuff like that um, yeah, that yeah. was after we we had some case study thing, um, but eventually, like sure enough, he convinced me that the death penalty is actually wrong, and mm-hmm. it's an opinion I still subscribe to, uh, not because of any real moral outlook, but even just the fact that you can never prove beyond reasonable doubt that someone actually did it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I get like in some cases you can. I'm still against it because yeah, yeah. I just don't think that you should um, you should collectively become the person who committed the crime if someone murders someone i think murdering them back is just uh, i just don't really think it makes a whole lot of sense um but that, that's an interesting point actually um because i've thought about this a lot and in, in my undergrad when i was doing psychology i remember we were doing social psychology and uh, capital punishment was brought up as something to kind of discuss i'd have to disagree about i i okay so first of all i don't think i agree with the death penalty but i don't think that that entails that murdering someone for murdering someone is intrinsically wrong, if that makes sense. So I I think I agree with that. Like, I do think that there are people who don't deserve to live. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that is even a controversial thing to say. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I just cannot... Mm -hmm. I just cannot, like... What's the word? Like, allow it to happen? I, I just... I can't see a way of making it work well enough that it would work properly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't think that that rationale is compatible with our current society. Yeah, yeah. It's just not possible to plant it on top of the means that we have available to us. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not that yeah. I think people don't deserve death. Because I think that some people do. I just am not comfortable with being part of the society that pulls the trigger. Yeah, and also I think the like the fact that there is any likelihood for abuse of that system exactly is a huge deterrent against impl- implementing it. Like if you look to the U.S., like 
you know what I mean? And especially in the African-American community, how often the case has been where those people have been completely unduly executed. Yeah. Uh, it's disgusting. And like I, I've often, when I was studying it or when I've talked about it with friends, thought about, imagine being in or on death row and being and knowing your innocence. Like, I, I just can't even comprehend how harrowing that would be. Yeah. Like, as it would be harrowing if you'd actually killed someone and you're on death row and you're going to be killed. Can you imagine being innocent? Yeah, I know. It's and the system has failed you, and the system is going to execute you for doing nothing wrong. Like, that for me is, is, is the argument against it, is yeah. even if one innocent person gets affected by it, that's one too many. It's like, we all know that O.J. Simpson killed his wife. Like, we yeah. all know it. He has as much as told us he did it, right? Yeah. And he's not in prison. Exactly. Well, he was, but not for that. Not yeah. for that, right? Now, if he was on death row for killing her, yeah. I don't think I could confidently say that he did kill her. <laughs> like, there's, yeah. there's like a fraction of doubt in my head. It's like buyer's remorse. Yeah. It's like you're okay when you're looking at it to be like, yeah, I'd probably like that. But then as soon as you have to buy it, it's like, shit, did I actually want it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's like every takeaway I buy. <laughs> that was yeah. good, but I'm full and I only ate half of it, and now I'm poorer than I was. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. That, yeah, that's true, actually. And like the Oscar Pistorius case was a pretty interesting one too, because he definitely did it, and it was definitely a stupid thing to do. Yeah. Like he woke up, his girlfriend was, or his fiance wasn't in the bed beside him. He heard movement in the bathroom and then shot the person in there. Yeah. It's like, if. Oh my god, like, why didn't you knock and say, who is it? Why didn't you, like, anything? You can't just shoot into a, it would be one thing if there was a mannequin in his bed he assumed was his girlfriend. Yeah. His fucking bed was empty and he heard strange movement in the bathroom. Uh, if your girlfriend isn't there, she's probably in there. Yeah, it's complete madness. Like, it, like, it really is. And he's after, he got his, uh, acquittal revoked, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And I don't know what his current fate is. I don't either. He's completely, like, he's fallen off the face of the earth in terms of yeah, media. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad that I don't have to fucking hear anybody ever again say, he doesn't have a leg to stand on, shut the fuck up, you're not funny, drown yourself. Yeah, I thought mine was far more eloquent. I said, was he pissed or he was really dumb? Ah, uh, yes. That is, that is like, so much better. <laughs> um, what, I, what I wanted to say as well is that my, um, my trek journey in, uh, into the realm of left-leaning um, tendencies uh, is, was also um, an emotional one, an emotionally driven mm. one. Was that mm. I, I think my feelings about feminism are actually like far more personal than I would have people believe, um, mm -hmm. and like my my feelings on feminism are not that I think, like when when I say I support feminism, I am literally talking about the Google definition of it. I'm not talking about kids in college shutting down speakers or, or like people saying that they should get more money because they're a woman or or like anything like that. Um, yeah, I just have <laughs> like I have witnessed I have been let down by men like so many times in my life and I have seen how hard men can make women's lives uh, so many times and that just put me onto a path mm. philosophically 
that I, mm. I couldn't get away from because of my experiences in that sure, in yeah. place. So, like, I, 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 it's so fucking hard to say anything about feminism in 2017 on the internet. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think it would be really good if, if, uh, if women were, like, better represented in movies, and I don't just mean give them all the main roles all the time. I just mean, like, I watch Wonder Woman had a blast, would like to see more of that kind of thing. Um, but do you not think that's funny? Because basically, with movies like Wonder Woman, you're essentially saying, I'm going to masculinize the woman to make her better. Yeah, to like to a point, I do think that there is a little bit of that. But when I think of, uh, like, Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of role, or... Um, which is very masculine, right? That was uh, Charlize Theron. Yeah. It's... Like she's super masculine, down to like the shaved head and everything. But Sarah Connor in Terminator 2, the only thing that made her like not like that is the fact that she also has to be a mother to John Connor at the same time. Exactly. Like, but but uh... she's still raw. Like she's very kind of emotionless. She's very like physically strong. Like that sort of parallels her mental overcoming. Yeah, um, but like Furiosa but... is responsible for the brides, and like she's very protective over them, and it is quite motherly. Okay, yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. I just think that for for some reason, feminine or not sorry, femininity isn't as sexy as masculinity. I don't know why. And like sexy in the sense of cool or deadly or amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's. I don't know, I, I think that's just... I think Hollywood has, like, very simple ways of portraying things, and it's very hard to break away from them when they're like, right, we, we need to give uh, enough importance to this character, so they make them do a thing that they know from history works, and that's how you end up with a movie like Wonder Woman. But there was also a lot of things that just showed that a woman can do things the same way that a man can, and it not in not in like a condescending or obvious way, but because of the fact that it was set during World War One, and attitudes towards women were obviously like a lot different back then. And I yeah. think I think that was like a clever piece of directing because it makes it seem realistic and not condescending at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I was so expecting during that movie. When she was like uh, talking about no man's land, she's like, nowhere does it say no woman's land. Yeah. You know, I was like, I thought it was begging for that line. I thought it was a bit derivative. Yeah. But I was yeah. like, oh, like, because do you remember in Lord of the Rings when like the king of the ringwraiths uh, on the Nazgul gets killed by the woman? She's like, I am no man because it was like he can't be slain by any man. Ah, I don't, I don't like, remember, but... Uh, yeah, there's, like, that. So I was like, oh, it would probably echo that scene. Like, it's a really, really kind of cool scene from Lord of the Rings. Makes her... Is, was, was her name Arwen? Thaylor? Yeah, Ar- Arwen, yeah. Arwen, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, she kills him, and it's, like, super badass. And, like, I was so expecting Wonder Woman to be like, yeah, no man's land, nowhere does it say no woman's land. Because I think that would have been such a cool thing, then just to jump to the scene where she's on it and walking across. 
I'm I glad. I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> I, I think that's that's too obvious. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and plus, what they did instead of that made me literally cry. So I prefer probably the lack of the no woman's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I know, I know. It's it's just something probably you think of as like, but uh... yeah, it's not. I, and like, I, I I don't. I when I say that, I, I don't mean the patriarchy is holding women down. I mean fucking River Tam in the movie Serenity is awesome and badass. And, like, there's also, um, fucking, I can't remember her name, uh, Jessica from Suits, uh, Gina Torres is her name in real life, and I can't remember what her mo- what her name is in, in, uh, Firefly and Serenity, but, like, she's great, um, and, I, I don't know, just, it, it, it doesn't hurt to have, like, a female in, in the main role, and they don't do it a lot of the time, and, like, I don't... Uh, this is like a Hollywood issue. This isn't a society issue because every time they do something like that, the like response in the box office is always pretty good. But Hollywood is of the opinion that it doesn't work because they don't do it. And it just leads to this like weird loop where, you know, you know, the movie, the equalizer, Um, it's got Denzel Washington in it and he kills the Russian mafia. And so the movie sold really, really well everywhere but uh, it didn't do so well. It didn't do as well as they thought it would in Russia. And so they were going to do a sequel to it, but they thought they'd get rid of Denzel Washington because this movie didn't do well in, in Russia, and that's because uh, black people just don't sell tickets abroad. Mm. Um, and <laughs> at no point were they like, maybe we should have fucking killed less Russians. Maybe yeah, we should have portrayed yeah. less Russians like <laughs> soulless psychopath gangsters in the movie. Instead, they were like, yeah, oh, that's it's because it's a black guy. Um, and we know that that's what they thought because that was in the leaked emails when Sony got hacked a, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. Like that is the way that these people think, and like that's but, stupid and yeah. ridiculous. And they should. Th- yeah, I think there's two sides to that coin, though. I definitely think there is a sense of uh, whiteness is better in Russia. Yeah, there's... no, de- I, like I, I do take that. Like I totally understand that that exists, um, that sentiment. But I, yeah. I don't think that it's proven beyond being a vague sure, feeling that sure. we all have yeah, yeah. like and like it is a fact that the antagonist in the movie is like a hundred russian mafia guys so yeah yeah well i i guess they, they probably lost ticket sales with the russian mafia which is fair, <laughs> fair enough yeah but like you, you'd think though that average russian citizens wouldn't mind seeing russian mafia members get killed right probably not so much but i think if you were to point to why the movie didn't do well overseas i think to immediately say denzel washington is just a ridiculous thing to assume uh like he's one of the biggest like he's an oscar-winning actor he totally like it's just like it's fantastic yeah yeah, like is there any evidence for like i'm sure that will smith movies and eddie murphy movies have sold really well in russia so i i don't I, I just like. Do you remember the Olympians talking about homosexuality? And they're like, "Yeah, it's just not normal. Like, it's just not right. Like, it, it's they've such a heteronormative culture." Yeah, they do. Like, and and it, it's actually incredible. Like, uh, they, they've got like the lowest immigration rate in the West. If you you know what I mean, include them in the West, especially if you look at per land mass. Like, yeah. you could fit all of Europe, drop it in, like a drop in the fucking ocean into Russia, yet there's nobody going there. And there's and, and they're not, want, they don't want immigrants either. Like, it's it's an extremely insular, despite being extraordinarily massive country. Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult country to move to. 
Yeah, yeah. But it, it's just, I think if it was anywhere else, say, for instance, I'd be like, yeah, it's probably a bit ridiculous. But like, I wonder what the African slash African Russian or whatever population of Russia is. I, I'd say it is really low. Yeah, it, and like black footballers in Russia do get booed for being black and stuff like it's that. It's ridiculous, like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because like if you think about it, Sony want to make money, right? That they're gonna want to do whatever I, makes yeah, that happen. I completely take that point, and I actually use that exact point for the fucking idiots who think that yeah that uh that Hollywood is 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 uh fucking what is it white genociding character like they they put a woman and a black guy in Star Wars that's ridiculous but it's like they're not doing that everyone thinks they're doing that to be politically correct they're not though they're doing it because there's a demand for it. And the proof of that is in the box office. Well, Star. Well, I think Star Wars is a special case because it'll always. Okay, do well, well, let's replace Star Wars with the Fast and Furious then, because that has one of the most ethnically diverse casts out of any blockbusters ever. It's got uh, it, what is it like two Asian people now? I think there's uh, <laughs> four or five people of color in the. Like there's Vin Diesel who. What are they blue or green? Or... Yeah, yeah, blue. No, well, see, they are all different shades of black and from different places. Yeah, so. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like it's just funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, totally. But the Fast and Furious, I think, as well, almost has like uh, a religious following as well. Yes, but and I think the multiculturalism really lends itself well to that because there's lots of in groups and out groups in it, right? Exactly, like, but, but there's the, lots of rivality. The first, word. the first like four maybe Fast and Furious movies are complete garbage, and then they started to to pack the cast with the, and then they became yeah yeah like th- there is something in that. It's not just a case of like we need to be politically correct, so we're gonna do this. Like yeah. Hollywood is 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 filled to the guts with you know wishy washy do gooder like lefty sentiment people who don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about like i take that point that's fine uh california the state especially um yeah uh like that yeah that's what it's like but i i that doesn't hollywood is a capitalist enterprise and industry and they are only interested in selling tickets well, I thought it was really interesting if you compare the demise of the Ghostbusters reboot and the success of Wonder Woman. Like, there was no mention of, holy shit, we thought every male on the internet was a sexist prick because Ghostbusters proved that and the dislike ratings and all. But now Wonder Woman's come out and it's hugely successful. Well, you know what I mean? There was, there was no cognitive dissonance. Imagine if they remade Thor and put a woman as Thor, though. Then it would be no, the exact same as the Ghostbusters one. But But, but then it's not necessarily sexism it's remaking something you really loved and doing what seems a completely oh yeah sure arbit- but you know what i mean there yeah was no I cognitive dissonance it's not like kind of like holy shit maybe sexism wasn't the answer to why ghostbusters flops because look how popular wonder woman is men do like women powerful women more powerful than them in lead roles yeah you know that's I mean? true yeah yeah like sexism wasn't the answer to ghostbusters demise it was certainly I- a, it was certainly a part of it though a fringe part, I'd say, because like again, Wonder Woman, I think, just blows it out of the water. Yeah, what I think it was with the Ghostbusters thing was it's not only that they're remaking Ghostbusters; 
but it's that they're they're putting women in the role and like that that made people outraged because it somehow made them think that it's going to be infinitely worse as a result of that i don't even necessarily think that that's sexism or misogyny i think it's just stupidity like i feel like every single time they fucking go to reboot a movie people go oh i can't believe they're doing it. it's like shut the fuck up like it, it, it but as well as that though i think it's ex- okay so if you're remaking a movie and you're only changing one variable of course people are going to focus on that and of course people are going to be like oh well clearly that's the only reason they remade it because that's the only thing they sort of changed yeah like i think it sort of makes sense that people like assume that okay so that's why we were meant to like it is because oh there's girls now which i think is really uh sexist on the part of the director and the creators you know what i mean it's like well guys you should like it now because we're not just remaking it we're putting girls in and it's like that that doesn't make it intrinsically good I think a huge part of that movie as well is that it's Ghostbusters and it was made for like twelve year olds, but like, what like yeah. whatever year old males thought it was going to be the same thing as that. I don't know. I I have a real problem with people who get outraged over the fact that they remake movies. Like you need to fu- like your favorite movies that you liked as a kid are probably oh, yeah. a remake of other movies anyway. But not only that, though, it, it's not going to change the movie you loved in any way. If, if so anything, get the fuck over it. If anything, it's going to draw more attention on the movie you love. It's, it's going to draw yeah. more attention on the movie you loved than anything else has in the last exactly. 10 years. Like, so... like, by all means, dislike it because it's a bad movie, but don't be like, I can't believe they're remaking this as if it'll change the original in any way. The idea that a movie from your childhood being remade in a different guise, a different context, is going to ruin your childhood. Yeah, like, it's, it, your, your childhood is over, mate. Yeah, fucking <laughs> give me a break. Like. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. But, um... Politics. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... Okay, so to get to something a bit more scientific, uh, there was this really interesting study called Red Brain, Blue Brain evaluative processes differ in Democrats and Republicans. So basically what they wanted to do was take people in who identify as Democrats, people in who identify as Republicans and see, holy shit, can we identify any functional differences in the brains of these people? So to break that down, what a functional difference of the brain is, isn't so much uh, the shape of it or the size of it or anything like that. It's how it works. What parts of the brain work more for certain processes in Democrats versus Republicans? And the best tool we have right now in society of accomplishing that is what's called an fMRI. So MRI stands for magnetic resonance imaging. So it uses huge big magnets to alter the Brownian motion of protons in nerves. And then by changing the magnetic field quickly, we can infer kind of the structural shape of the brain. It's extraordinarily complex. Uh, I did a whole module on neuroimaging, still barely understand it. Uh, and the F part of fMRI is functional. So what they essentially do then is they base their interpretation of the data on blood flow because the hypothesis is that parts of the brain that require energy are the parts of the brain that are being used during tasks, and those parts of the brain that require energy are going to increase blood flow. That's how our body delivers energy around our body is through blood vessels, blood flow. And so by tracking what parts of the brain get more blood flow, we can assume that they are the parts of the brain that are being used for certain tasks. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. I I can't. (laughs) I I fucking hate the fact that I am a bag of bones with blood pumping around inside of me. It's fucking horrible. I can't deal with that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I fucking hate like references to like 
veins and what they do and and like the fact that your stomach like all, all these things are happening inside of your body all the time yeah I, yeah i hate it <laughs> i can't deal with it interesting yeah it's disgusting like I, I i remember the first time i did uh what you would call it anatomy class where we were using cadavers what's that like I, I, sorry a cadaver is a dead body that you oh use. right okay I yeah thought, i thought it was an indie band <laughs> Abracadaver, yeah, uh, but it was surreal. It was super surreal, like like uh, cutting into a, a, a dead body, and obviously it was treated with respect, and it's very much kind of valued that these people are giving up their bodies for science and for kind of m- medical knowledge and to add to the the body of knowledge about the body. Mm. That's sort of like inception shit right there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so uh, I just remember that, and like just in relation to your bag of bones thing, it really does drive the point home that that's all we are. Yeah. But anyway, okay, so in relation to this study, uh, red brain, blue brain. What they actually found was... That, <laughs> Conservatives like, kind of, have red brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so Republicans performing a task that was a risk-taking task. So basically a task where you have to choose between certain options and there's a chance you will lose or a chance you will win, right? So there's sort of, you're aware that you might make a bad decision, a wrong decision, and you are trying to avoid that. You're told to avoid that because that is bad. That is a loss. No one wants to be a loser. That when Republicans were taking part in this task, the part of the brain that was activated was what's called their amygdala, their right amygdala. And that's associated with orienting at- attention to external cues. So sort of uh, looking outside yourself and trying to follow something else to tell you more information about what you're focusing on. Democrats, for instance, when they focus on a uh, when they take part in a risk taking task, they have higher activity in their left posterior insula, which doesn't really matter if you don't know what it is. But what it does is that's associated with perceptions of internal physiological states. And that's really interesting because that literally says they're listening to their feelings when they uh take part in risk-taking tasks. And you're like, okay, what does a risk-taking task tell you about someone's political beliefs? Every political decision is a risk-taking task. Taking in immigrants is a risk-taking task. Deciding how much money to spend on defense is a risk-taking task. Uh, How much to spend on healthcare is a risk-taking task. Do you know what I mean? It's all pros versus cons. So when you kind of break that down into a very simple sense, the amygdala is telling Republicans to like, holy shit, what do we know about these uh, externally? What are the external factors we need to take into account? So you might think that that's kind of almost a depersonalization technique where they're trying to think of things over and above the people and what you can infer about the scenario without taking the people into account, if that makes sense. There's a a very old theory about conservatism that basically says that the, the fundamental root of conservatism and right-wing ideology is a fear of disease Mm. have you ever heard that before yeah and i i I followed up on it as well and i think further research has shown that it's not just a fear of disease but oftentimes it's disgust associated with that sort of thing yeah Yeah. disgust yeah that they like Yeah. yeah that's so interesting though and if you actually look into Human emotion, so human facial expression is extraordinarily complex, yet I think there's something like five or six ubiquitous global facial expressions that exist 
in every culture around the world. And not only do they exist there, but you can show a face to any a face of culture A to any other culture and they will say what that face represents. Yeah. Like disgust in Papua New Guinea looks the same as disgust in Manhattan, New York. Yeah. Which is really interesting. So, um, yeah, just those sort of emotions and stuff. I think it was Darwin uh, described that because he traveled, what was it, the HMS Beagle, and he went around to loads of different places. And I think he actually devised a way of recording the facial expressions, and he said that they're the same as they are in the West or whatever. But, yeah, disgust and fear of infection and disease and that sort of thing definitely associates uh, conservatives. And then also, though, with relation to the Democrats, so they're kind of perceiving their internal physiological states. And I think that sort of shows that Democrats, in a way, are kind of more feelers, like they feel more about things, whereas Republicans are thinkers. They're kind of more analytical about it. And that isn't to denigrate either party. Obviously, Republicans feel like, you know what I mean? And obviously, Democrats think like some of the smartest minds in the world are and were Democrats. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But it's, it's just a really, really interesting dichotomy that you have sort of thinkers or at least kind of associators externally. And then you have people who are kind of listening to their own feelings. Yeah, it makes sense when the, when they say that the people who are drawn to uh, Marxism, uh, specifically cultural Marxism, tend to be people of high intelligence with a very high capacity for empathy. Yeah, which because yeah, puts which them makes right sense. in the feeler category, like they, exactly, like you're aware of how much suffering there is, and you're thinking, shit, if we if you assume everyone thinks like you, you assume everyone feels like you, and therefore you deduce that if that's the case, then all we have to do is create everyone equal, treat everyone the same, and everything will work out fine. Yeah, yeah and it makes I, sense for that person. I I'd say that that's that uh, is definitely apparent in me and my political leanings mm. uh it's it's almost always emotionally based even when i feel like it shouldn't be or even when i'm faced with empirical evidence that suggests i'm wrong to feel this way there's a yeah. feeling there that i can't escape exactly and and i kind of have the opposite effect i'm like kind of i i think i detach myself often too much from how i feel about it to be like well let's break this down analytically and yeah, I, yeah. I i i go through that and therefore, I think there's a, like, what would you say, an epistemological roadblock between the two parties because you're trying to, like, crunch water with concrete and it's just not going to work, right? Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting that that perfectly sums up the differences between us and the things that we, I yeah. guess, we don't really argue, but the things that we discuss and the sides that yeah. we take, you are always the logical, pragmatic thinker. And I'm always the guy that's saying, well, what about all of these people? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But like, I, I know that you're thinking about it logically, and I presume you know that I feel for the people affected. Oh, I, I'm change. convinced you're a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no but i mean i like i've known you for a long time and i know that you aren't like that you literally are not a psychopath and that you like like, like fake news yeah well like i yeah i know i have seen like various emotional responses to things from you to, of to, course yeah 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 like i know that you're not a fucking yeah like a bad person just because you disagree with me politically you know Mm-mm. yeah no and exactly the same i think that's why oftentimes our conversations are so fruitful because we 
just just have that understanding that shit this person could be right no matter how much i feel or think the opposite yeah and if you were some shithead on twitter saying that stuff to me i'd be like exactly. get the fuck out of here before we exactly. could even get to like the meat of the <laughs> yeah. discussion i'd be like get the fuck out of here i don't need to listen yeah. to this shit i'd screenshot <laughs> the tweet and i'd send it to you and i'd be like look at this fucking idiot but yeah, yeah, because yeah. with you, I have to actually fucking give a reason and an answer and stuff. Yeah, it ends up yeah, being yeah. a, like you say, a fruitful discussion where I learn things and like yeah, I can same. change my opinions accordingly or adjust them if needs be. Like yeah, it's, yeah. And no yeah. matter what, it never gets like irate or heated, but, which I really, because like so many of my conversations with peers get so heated. But I always find with, with you, it's always like we can talk about anything and the most polarizing topics and we can be the most polarized on opposite ends of the poles people yet it still is kind of fruitful and constructive yeah, yeah. totally yeah yeah it's it's, yeah. it's really great that you can move from like a like no this is why you're wrong to oh by the way have you seen this statistic or something and then like we can both just be like oh shit wow that means all of these things and stuff and yeah 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 it's mad in relation to like kind of what we were talking about as well this sort of sudden u-turn of the left into the realms of violent protesting and no platforming i kind of heard this really interesting quip i can't remember from whom but basically he said that these days there is what's known as now the left pole so he's like if you think about the north pole every direction away from the north pole is south with the left pole any deviation from where they set the left pole is right wing you know what I mean? Yeah. I, you can't and, deviate in any way, otherwise you're a right-wing Nazi bigot yeah, or and fascist I see, or whatever. I see so many examples of that as well. It's it's ridiculous. It's, it's so entrenched in our political dialogue on every level, really. From like Huffington Post down to the most, I don't know, boring, normal tweeter, you know? It's, it's like acceptable to say... That Dave the New York Times is a white like, yeah. supremacist or something like that. Exactly, yeah. I think he is taking recently a libel case yeah, against someone. Yeah, I saw someone, that, yeah. Which he's dead right to do. They called him, like, alt-right, I think. Yeah, that's right. They it's, lumped him in with Paul Joseph Watson and and I think Lawrence Southern and a couple of others. It's like, there's a, a guy, I've, I've, sp- I've spoken about him, I think, three times since the episode, but I had Matt Christensen on, on the Midnight Hour one time. Mm. And... Like, he has voted Democrat all his life, except for most recently when he voted for Donald Trump. And yeah. Like, I swear to God, like, if anyone just goes and listens to my discussion with him, like, you'll just hear two rational humans having a, a discussion. And, like, he'll see something he objects with in a, a fucking newspaper or a publication online, and he'll say to them oh i think this about this and he's immediately labeled a right-wing troll that that's the thing they always say to him right-wing troll right and i swear if you ever have a discussion with this guy or like look at like one minute of his videos like he is like the least trolly person ever he, he like he's such a logical thinker and never says anything unreasonable and he'll call out bullshit on the right when he sees it too and yet he just yeah. gets labeled a right-wing troll and it's so fucking lazy and it's like i feel like embarrassed to be not that i am but like on some level i am associated with that because i will say i lean left so people will automatically think that i follow lena dunham on twitter and like everything that she says you know what i mean yeah 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 
But I will say too that the right does the right does this other thing that's really annoying. Stephen Crowder and and the likes and Milo Yiannopoulos do this where it's like, I don't know, whatever will happen and Lena Dunham will tweet. I actually think it's okay to eat babies, and then these uh, the right wing commentators will be like. Look at what the left thinks. The disgusting left thinks it's okay to eat babies. This is what the left is. And I fucking hate that too. Like, Lena Dunham doesn't speak yeah. for me, so fuck off. Like, Lena Dunham doesn't speak for anybody on the left. She, she yeah, is... Yeah. To, like, Lena she, Dunham. She's Yeah, she's a fucking clown. Like, nobody cares about anything that she has to say, except for people on the right. And maybe some, maybe some like, left-leaning 14-year-old girls on Tumblr. Maybe. But, like, nobody of consequence believes that her opinion is valid. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it it's just it's it's just ridiculous to associate all of her tweets with left wing ideology because she is a moron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lena Dunham, not the biggest fan. No, I I don't like her at all. I, I like I, I I think that she is just uh, not not even a provocateur, but like an attention whore. <laughs> not a provocateur, yeah. but an attention whore. Yeah. I, 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 so if, if any of your listeners are sort of uh, disillusioned with feminism for whatever reason, a feminist I definitely recommend uh, looking up is uh, Camille Paglia, I think her name is. She's written and talks about uh, the topic on transgenderism, I think, in a really, really interesting way at a time when it's extraordinarily sort of in vogue, um, especially now, especially with Canadian Bill C-16 going through in that and I think she gives a very level-headed reasoned approach to the phenomenon of transgenderism which has definitely like kind of built up steam in the last couple of years yeah so like I'd, I'd really recommend uh reading up on her views on it and um, like she's kind of I, I don't know I'd say she's in her 50s at least and she's been a feminist I think all her life so without painting all feminists in the one brush I don't know if any of your uh listeners would be anti-feminist or anything like that but I'm sure some def- of them are. De- definitely give her a read or even if you are a feminist like you, you might learn something new from her she's very interesting yeah i i think i think to call yourself a feminist is just problematic now because the movement itself uh i feel has some very contradictory mission statements where the definition the one that I put on the screen in my video about whether or not Wonder Woman is feminist. Mm. Like, I feel like the way I approached it in relation to the movie was very simplistic and logical, and it makes perfect sense. But the version of feminism that people are railing against now is something different, and something that I can't really even articulate, and certainly not something that I identify with too strongly like i obviously strongly identify with the opinion that women should be treated as equal to men and i don't mean that in the obvious i'm a white knight women are people too way but i mean it in the in relation specifically to my past experiences where i have seen women being treated poorly and yeah it's sort of it's more um apparent in my head it's more raw and visceral and yeah exactly yeah no totally it's like i've seen instances where women aren't treated fairly by like an entire system around them and stuff and yeah 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 it's it's weird it is it's all totally emotional like and personal yeah it's, it's strange but i definitely think that an, an interesting uh corollary to that is if you look at the family court system or even the judicial system itself uh i i think that unfortunately there's a a, a nice benefit or 
women are privileged in say those two uh, institutions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there, there's loads actually. Yeah. 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 Like, it, it, and it's a terrible tug, and what, what's it? Uh, tug and war. Tug of war. Tug of war. Yeah. Yeah. Like between the genders, and and that's why I think it's so ridiculous to talk about one being oppressed. Like, they, they, they both have so many like hurdles. You know what I mean? Like, why not just work together and like identify one and let's say let's tackle it together you know what i mean this idea that who is more uh of a victim it's just such a nefarious and i don't know destructive mentality to have because you're literally going against an entire gender you know what i mean i feel like like the whole thing about um how much you or your dna your bloodline has been victimized is such a ridiculous thing because yeah like i uh, i am an irish person and like Irish people have been persecuted, murdered, attempted genocide on like for what like eight hundred years or whatever it is, and like mm. and and like that sure that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me, but like there are people in my immediate family who were alive while I was alive who literally fought to try and end that struggle, yeah, um, so I definitely get what it's like to feel it in your blood and to feel some form of. I don't know, a, a bloodline victimization thing. Yeah. But when you try and bring it out into the real world, you have to level it off against other people with, like, a, like, like why does that make my victimhood, if you could even call it, like, my vague semblance of victimhood that exists somewhere in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Why does that matter? Or, or like, why should that be less important than yours or whatever like I, I don't know the whole the whole culture of of, uh, of victimhood is a strange one but yeah. at, at, like at the same time you look at those people um the victims of the fire in london and like you can see actual impoverished people who are made victims because of their financial situation and like and various other like systemic failures that have happened around them and stuff and then you mm. do see that there is true victimization there's true like systemic and institutionalized victimization and it just it's it doesn't mean like someone spelling your name wrong at starbucks or yeah someone not holding a door open for you exactly and i i think that drives home like the most realistic and objective way i think to understand privilege i think you can start and stop on money you know what i mean yeah like that is literally the only privilege that matters. How much money do you have? Anything other than that is largely irrelevant. You know what I mean? I think if I was a better person, like, if, well, <laughs> I wouldn't have dropped that thing on top of my bottle. <laughs> if, if, if I was a, a more well-disciplined person and a stronger intellectual than I actually am, I would write the thesis that I have in my brain of Liam Gallagher. No, um, of... <laughs> so... I believe that um, the cause for Black Lives Matter and these sort of fringe oppressed groups that are all railing against something, I believe the thing that they're railing against does exist in some form, but it's the way they look at it, like through the lens of racial oppression, uh, is is, uh, somewhat misguided. And what in fact is in place in America is... um, economic classes yeah it's purely financial like it's i I think so the the the, so black people in america make up i think 12 percent of the population and there's something like what between 40 and 60 percent of um of 
prison inmates in prison like yeah like that is uh just on the face of it just that statistic alone implies injustice and i don't think it's necessarily racial injustice i think it was for a time and there may be people in jail who are there because of racial injustice but i think that now the system now that continues to uh imprison black people is not actually doing it because they're black it's doing it because they're poor and i I think that's the issue is like poverty means that you can't afford a proper attorney uh crime breeds crime you're going to become a product of your environment if you just continuously you know if you like if you live in a ghetto or whatever that's going to be your existence and your environment and you're not going to be able to actually yeah. imagine anything else I, I think the whole thing is, is a matter of economic class like all exactly uh, exactly and i think like your education your health care uh your job like all that is dictated by how much money is in your bank account basically yeah. you it's know dictated what I mean? by your economic class from birth and exactly. few people yeah. ever escape from that. And you can't teach someone how to escape from that. It just is what it is, ultimately. Yeah, and like, yeah. It's a it's a really sad reality and one that we don't really understand how to fix because we keep labeling it something else. And I think Ben Shapiro put it best, though, when he said social social justice is an oxymoron because it basically says the justice that you deserve is dependent upon the race or gender of the person doing it it's nothing to do you know what i mean it, yeah. it, it 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 can't be justice if it's dependent upon those variables because you're basically saying what's justice for them isn't justice for these people um but yeah, yeah. But... and like in relation to the incarceration rates of the african-american community like something like they make up as you said about 15 percent of the population they are 50% of all homicides in the United States. Yeah. They perpetrate. Like, that's crazy. So I think that if you were to look at the stats of incarceration rates amongst the different ethnic groups, you might say, oh, shit, there's a problem here. But when you look at the infraction rates, it's almost explained by it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's the same way that uh, the rights um, retort to that is, well, look at the level of Asians, and they're, and, and they're always at the top of the mm-hmm, charts for education mm-hmm. and stuff. And that's because like Asians who move to America generally do so because they're wealthy enough to do it, and it puts them into the upper class like economically, right? So because yeah. they're in that upper bracket, they are afforded the benefits of a really good education, and as a result of that, really high-paid jobs and... Like, but I like, don't think we can un- underestimate the Asian culture, especially the Chinese culture. You know what I mean? No, no. Yeah, t- totally. The, the, like, you mean like the work ethic? and the, Exactly. Yeah. And, and the uh, impetus on education and totally. doing your best. Yeah. I, I agree. I, and, like, I, and, I, and I think that it would be fair enough to look at the black community and say, like, stop killing each other and stuff. But I also think... and here's where I think you and I disagree or part ways but I do think that the way an economic underclass works especially when it's born out of the shadow of Jim Crow is that it doesn't really get a chance to reset itself from there like not all in the one go certainly and the way capitalism works in America if you are in like it's if you were a poor person in Ireland it's a lot easier for you to become whatever you want to be now that path does still exist in america but in america they don't give you money when you're poor they give you food stamps and stuff like that and it just becomes this like really like strenuous cycle of poverty that is just really difficult to get out of without some sort of like you know gift or talent or yeah whatever. like i i, I... 
two things to say about that. And the first is, is that, okay, so in relation to what you're saying, then you're placing a lot more emphasis on look for successful African-Americans than their drive and their ability to apply themselves, right? Because if, if it was just down to drive an application, then surely anyone could do it. So you're basically saying there's something out of the control of the African-American community that holds them down. To a point. So while you dissolve the blame on the people who don't make it, you're also dissolving the success of the people who do make it. Um, not necessarily. Both things can exist in tandem. Like, I mean... But then it's not just about being African-American, it's, 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 it's a whole host of other factors. It's not about being African-American at all. It's about being poor. But exactly, I'd black agree, people yeah. are overly represented in the uh, bracket of poor people, and that is because of uh, the history like of the Jim Crow segregation that sort of had black people put into these ghettos and, and like the poorer neighborhoods. And once Jim Crow ended, it wasn't like, here's $70,000 or, or like even like, here's $25,000 a year salary or whatever. Like, it takes a long, long time to for an economic underclass to sort of heal itself or to um, to move up a class or, or whatever it is. Um, and being in an economic underclass also puts you into a philosophical underclass, which I, I don't know if you'll think I'm talking complete and utter like pseudo-scientific bullshit here, but like you know the concept of class and the idea that like the upper echelons they eat lobster and, and they do stuff like that like mm. if someone gave me 70 million pounds right now um i would never become one of those people in the upper class like it, 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 that's just that i'm not from that like upbringing that, that's not sure, how sure. that's not who i am and so, like, if, if Cleed is the slackjawed yokel, yeah, won the Euro exactly. Millions. If he won the Euro Millions, like, he would find a way to 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 put way more roadkill into his truck. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I have a I have a really hard time articulating this, but basically, just the idea of class, the economic sense, and the philosophical sense; these are all etched together. Like, you become a product of your environment. Like, what you are is what you know. And when you're poor for your whole life or when you were literally like when your father was literally oppressed and enslaved or whatever. And then you come out of that like that's all, you know, if you have a kid, you're going to tell them like that kind of same thing. And it just becomes a, a cycle that's that's really difficult to break. And it's not saying that they lack the education or, or whatever. But when you're in poverty, it's just hard to ever like start building the wheels to Okay, but if that is, say for instance, if that is the explanation for the the problem the African-American community faces, then that doesn't explain the fact, say for instance, the single mother families, which have increased exponentially since the 1950s to today's day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the absenteeism of fathers in the African-American community is astounding. It's it's dreadful. It's a huge problem. And it was actually less bad back in the 50s. And it's only been getting worse uh, decade on decade. Yeah, I wonder like, about that. Like, it's so weird, you know what I mean? It, and it, it, it's, it's hugely detrimental, right? Like, uh, 
either the loss of a father figure or a mother figure is, is hugely uh, significant and detrimental for for the family. And in fact, it like it's going to imprint on the children. And you know what I mean? So like, it, and, and that's why I'm kind of quoting kind of Ben Shapiro when he brought up that statistic. And he basically said it, it, it's got everything to do with culture and nothing to do with race. And by nothing, he probably means marginally, but every, like major, majorly to do with culture. Sure. I'm saying it doesn't really have anything to do with race either in the state that it's in now. I'm saying that now it is purely economic. But the reason that it is economic in the first place is because of race. Because a ghetto is a ghetto. Like, you know what I mean? And and that's where they were put. Like, it's just... Like, sure, there was affirmative action and stuff like that. I, I don't know, I haven't actually seen any statistics on affirmative action and whether or not it was a success or, or whatever, um, but that, mm. that doesn't encompass like a large proportional number of, um, of poverty-stricken yeah, yeah. African-Americans, so I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. Poverty breeds poverty, and especially in America, the way their education system works is basically like whatever area you're in, the school that you go to... Yeah, will be no, as no. good as the amount of money that's in the area that you're in. So like, yeah, it, it's yeah. like, and that is so important. Like, education is so important, especially at, in those younger years. Like, yeah, how likely you are to get an education, or, or or even whether or not you have an education, is like indirect proportion to how likely you are to ever end up in prison. So, yeah, yeah, I know, no, I, I know, I know. It's yeah, I don't know. Like, I certainly don't have the answer. I only have the the liberal feeling. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, I like. I mean, I did study economics for a long time, so yeah, I do understand how that works and how like poverty breeds poverty and stuff like that. Yeah, trickle down economics doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I I am gonna look into that um the single father thing though. Yeah, I've heard it, but I've never sort of searched for any reason why. And uh, and there's an also uh, analogous theory that apparently homosexuality is overly represented in the African American community amongst men, and they think that that is down to the fact that single uh, motherhood or single uh, mother families is uh, so ubiquitous that the young boys growing up see their mom and all her friends hanging out together. And so that's how they form friendships with other guys. You know, <laughs> men that's in other cultures aren't as gregarious. Kind of, They're more like oh, I have a close-knit circle. But it seems in the African-American community, from what I know of it, which isn't that much, but just I was in- intrigued by this kind of uh, hypothesis, that they basically f- learn how to form friendships and social circles from their mothers. Because their fathers aren't around as much, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. But apparently, yeah, homosexuality is is quite overrepresented in the African-American community, which I didn't realize. I wonder, is that one of those statistics, though, that's that's skewed in some way? Like, uh, perhaps they can do all sorts of weird things with statistics. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure that if you use a certain if you use a certain calculation for averages, on average, there are more people in the world with one leg than there are with two. <laughs> like, I swear to God, I've had that explained to me before. 
and and like it makes sense. Obviously, it's not true, but you can see how that statistician did not have a leg to stand on. <sighs> Sorry, uh, you said you loved that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I mm. wish that that I I hope that you <laughs> I hope that you get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom and someone shoots you through the wall. <laughs> Sorry, that's really harsh, but that's how much I feel. That's how badly I feel about the joke. Yeah. Or how strongly I feel. Nah, I hope that doesn't happen to you. Oh, thanks, man. Or, yeah, no, nah, it, it's fair to say I hope you don't well, get uh, shot. Well, if it does happen, I'll know it's you, so <laughs> yeah. you're going down. If they shoot you in the leg, I'm going to make you that joke to you for the rest of your life. I hope it blows my legs straight off, and then you can tell me the explanation of the statistics average ah, nice. people in one leg. Full yeah. circle. Yeah, yeah. So shall we end the episode? I think it's a good time to. It was a long one. Uh, it was, actually, yeah. I'd like to know what the people think. Check out the subreddit, everyone, and uh, the YouTube comments. We really love... Well, I really love... John doesn't give a shit about your feelings, but I really... <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you do you ever read the subreddit? Um, yeah, actually. It's it's pretty good, I think. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really cool uh, questions. I actually like being corrected on stuff, so um, I appreciate it. That's a lie. He hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't correct me on anything else. <laughs> yeah. I know it's good uh, yeah a couple of the other podcasts I was correct on stuff I was like shit yeah I need to sharpen my 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 tools in relation to that yeah it's it's always like when you're recalling stuff uh, as part of a discussion you're, you're more gonna be like oh and that reminds me of this other thing and then like you can't perfectly recall everything but you know what you, you deserve so much credit for remembering the names of like every fucking experiment and thesis and theory ever like the McGurk effect like that you just knew that in your head <laughs> like the, like I knew it I'd heard of it I, I'd, I'd read up on it I knew what the thing was but I never would have remembered it was called the McGurk effect from the age of like 17 to 23 I think I remember everything that happened in my life <laughs> that's crazy I'm not, I'm, yeah and then after that I went to shit so I, I basically just used up all my hippocampus in those six years and I've yeah. got nothing left I actually have a really good memory. Like people say it to me all the time, but not yeah. not for like names of things or statistics, but like names of actors, directors, what year a movie came out, like and what then... year it is, what day it is, <laughs> <laughs> what age I was yesterday, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Apart from that one time you were caught out in it, but that was because it was your birthday yesterday, so that made sense. That was really tough. Yeah, um, yeah. And also, Lord's birthday is the day after mine, and that's really upsetting because, like, she's so much younger and so much more talented than I am. And yeah, there yeah. is one day in the year where I'm a full year older again. That's nice. Just, it's just not fair. Yeah. Um, sure, Ian Curtis uh, killed himself when he was 23. I felt like I'm a complete failure since that age as well. Tupac was 25 when he died, right? And Kendrick yeah. Lamar is 30 now. Like... Tupac Jesus. had already had, like, what was it, seven albums when he was killed? And Kendrick Lamar has had four. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, it is. Anyway, good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.
Спасибо.